Hey everyone, welcome back to The Haunted Corner. I'm Ashton. I hope you all are starting your week off on the right foot. Today we are continuing our cold case corner and bringing some attention to a few cold cases out of Iowa. If you have any information about any of the cases mentioned in today's episode, I will include contact information for you in the episode as well as on the blog post for the episode. The link will be in the show notes. And with that, let's get into it. There are over 700 cold cases in the state of Iowa, and today we'll be covering just a few of them. At first, we'll be heading to Des Moines in April of 2011. This case involves a woman who was in the prime of her life. She had a great career as a realtor, great friends, so much going for her. This is the story of Ashley Oakland. Ashley Oakland was born on December 30, 1983, in Ames, Iowa. As she was growing up, Ashley was involved in dance, 4-H, sports, and playing piano. She attended Ballard High School, where she graduated in the top of her class. She eventually went on to attend the University of Northern Iowa before transferring to Iowa State University, where she graduated in 2006. After graduation, Ashley pursued a career in realty. In 2007, she began working for the real estate company JDR Group before joining Iowa Realty in 2010. When she wasn't working, Ashley was involved in Big Brothers Big Sisters, Young Professionals Connection, and she was a Young Variety Board member as well. She loved to travel, golf, go to concerts, and spend time with her family and friends. In 2011, Ashley was working as a real estate agent and living with her boyfriend, Eric, and their dog, Indy. On Friday, April 8, 2011, Ashley was working inside a model townhome. This was a new townhome development by Rutland Homes. Some of the townhomes were still under construction and others were finished. Where Ashley was, was inside one of the completed models, which is where the sales office was located. Just before 2 o'clock p.m., a Rutland Homes employee heard a commotion inside the model townhouse at 558 Stone Creek Court, and when the employee went inside to investigate, they found Ashley on the floor, and she had been shot twice. The employee immediately called 911, and Ashley was rushed to the Iowa Methodist Medical Center in Des Moines, where she later died. She was only 27 years old. Iowa Realty Chief Executive Mike Knapp had all the company's agents notified, asking them to shut down operations and cancel weekend open houses until they knew more about the shooting. The company offered grief counseling to Oakland's coworkers while making plans to reach out to her family. Police began looking into suspects. They told the public that they didn't believe there was any danger to the public. They thought this was an isolated incident and that it was not a random attack. But who would want to hurt Ashley? She was very active in the community. She loved helping others and seemingly had no enemies. So who would do this to her? Within the first year, hundreds of calls poured into the Polk County Crime Stoppers tip line. Many of the callers provided the same two or three names and information about a black SUV that could have possibly been a Cadillac Escalade. 
that was spotted near the model home where Ashley had been working. Police believe that Ashley knew her attacker based on the lack of signs of a struggle. But my question is, what if she didn't have time to struggle? What if she didn't, you know, it was a split second kind of thing and it was too fast for that? Maybe that would explain the lack of evidence of a struggle. One year after Ashley Oakland's murder, investigators had followed up on more than 700 leads and had more than 550 names in a database related to the case. Police had executed a number of search warrants, but despite all of this, the case remains unsolved. On Wednesday, January 29, 2014, $100,000 was donated to the Ashley Oakland Star Playground Project by the Iowa Association of Realtors. In May of 2014, Ashley Oakland Star Playground, a specialized park for handicapped children, opened in her name. A longtime friend of Ashley's named Susan Hatton told the Des Moines Register in 2014, quote, Ashley was all-inclusive in her personality, which is exactly what this playground is. It caters to children of every ability, whether they have special needs or not, and she would have loved that, end quote. The family and friends of Ashley are offering a reward of up to $150,000 for information leading to the arrest and conviction of the person or persons responsible for her death. Ten years after her murder, her brother Josh said, quote, we have all learned how to adapt our lives without Ash, but there is still an irreplaceable hole. We miss her all the time and cherish the memories we have, end quote. Those with any information about Ashley's murder are encouraged to report to Crime Stoppers of Central Iowa. Tips can be made anonymously by calling 515-223-1400 or 1-800-452-1111. And that is the story of the murder of Ashley Oakland. If you have any information, please reach out. No information is too small. Up next, we're heading to 2013, also in Des Moines. This is the case of a young man named Reginald Bernard Bryan Jr. I had never heard of this case. I did find it while looking on the Iowa Cold Cases website. And I think it's important to cover the cases that are, you know, people may not know. So Reginald Renard Bryan Jr. was born in Deland, Florida on June 6, 1989 to parents Golda Humphrey and Reginald Renard Bryan Sr. He attended a local high school in Volusia County and graduated from Lighthouse Christian Academy in 2008. Reginald went on to pursue his education at Grambling State University in New Orleans, Louisiana, where he studied sports medicine. In 2010, he moved to Oak Lawn, Illinois, where he got a job as a security guard with the Chicago Public School District. Around this time, he started coaching the Lady Spartan softball team, and he took this formerly struggling team to the championship game that they won all within one year. Most recently, Reginald had made the decision to enroll at IBN, IBEN Technical Institute in Alsip, Illinois, where he pursued his cert certification as an electrician. He had a young daughter named Ryla, and things were going well for the young father. In April of 2013, Reginald traveled to Des Moines to celebrate the graduation of one of his friends. 
the friends were out in the early morning hours of April 28, 2013. There was a very large block party with 400 to 500 people outside of Big Girls Gold Mine, which was a club. Everyone was having a good time. Until around 3.20 a.m., reports of shots fired came in to the police department. As deputies and officers from the Des Moines Police Department and a Windsor Heights Police Department canine officer arrived and made their way through the crowds, more shots could be heard. Deputies had responded to Quick Trip at 4575 Northwest 2nd Street on a report of individuals disturbing the peace. Hundreds had gathered across several properties between the Quick Trip and Big Girls Gold Mine. Deputies who heard the shots reported them to dispatch, but had trouble determining where they had come from due to the number of people in the area. Deputies struggled to get through the crowd, but as they did, they came across a man laying in the street who had been shot. The man was Reginald Bryan Jr., and he was transported to a local hospital where he later died. He was only 23 years old. A second shooting victim, Matthew Millsap, who was 24, of Des Moines, was driven by, by another third party to a hospital where he was treated and released. On Monday, April 29, 2013, the Polk County Medical Examiner officially ruled his death a homicide and the investigation began. Authorities initially weren't sure if Reginald was the intended target of the attack or if he was possibly in the wrong place at the wrong time. They also didn't have any suspects. There were as many as 500 people there that night, and they had nothing. This wasn't the first murder to occur at the legendary men's club, though. In 1994, Big Girls Gold Mine before the, became the country's first topless and bottomless juice bar, a club which serves no alcohol and therefore is beyond the regulation of state liquor authorities. The owner was a man named Earl Riley Hamilton, also known as Big Girl. Big Girl's gold mine featured nude dancers, and though the bar could sell nothing stronger than soft drinks, customers were reportedly allowed to bring in alcohol as they pleased. As he closed up at approximately 3 o'clock a.m. on Sunday, September 29, 1996, an unknown assailant shot Big Earl in the head outside of the club. Earl was flown to a local hospital where he was pronounced dead. Officials ruled out robbery as a motive, and speculation had it that Big Earl might have been slain over a dispute that had arisen over his firing of several nude dancers. His murder remains unsolved to this day. No cr connection or arrests have ever been made in either case, and Polk County Crime Stoppers is offering up to $4,000 for information that leads to the arrest and prosecution of a suspect in Reginald Bryan Jr.'s murder. Witnesses or those with any information about the case are asked to call Polk County Crime Stoppers at 515-223-1400 or the Polk County Sheriff's Office at 515-286-3333. Up next, we'll be heading to Evansdale, Iowa. This is a more well-known case, one that has bothered me since it happened. This is a story of the murders of Lyric Cook and Elizabeth Collins. This case begins on a hot summer day in Evansdale, Iowa. It was July 13, 2012. 
Cousins 8-year-old Elizabeth Collins and 10-year-old Lyric Cook were at their grandmother's house. Her name was Wilma Cook. The girls often spent their days together, and on this day, their grandma was taking care of them. Lyric was born on October 2, 2001 in Waterloo, Iowa. She attended Kingsley Elementary School. She was described as an infectious joy to be around with a smile that radiated with love. Elizabeth Collins was born on July 31, 2003, also in Waterloo, Iowa. She attended Pointer Elementary School. She enjoyed dressing up and getting her nails and her hair done. She loved singing, riding her bike, and playing softball and hockey. She had a big heart and a great love for animals. Lyric and Elizabeth left their grandmother's house around noon on their bikes. This was a typical summer day for the girls. They were seen at about 12.23 p.m. on July 13th at Brovan Boulevard in Evansdale, and then spotted between 12.30 and 1 p.m. on Gilbert Drive, not far from Myers Lake, which was a popular fishing and recreation area in the town. This is the last time the girls were seen alive. When Lyric and Elizabeth didn't return to their grandmother's house, she became increasingly worried. Family members searched the area for a bit before calling 911 and reporting the girls missing. The Evansdale Police Department began assessing the situation. A search began and local parks, schools, and other areas were looked through. Soon, the Black Hawk County Sheriff's Department and the local fire department joined in the search for Elizabeth and Lyric. Around 4 o'clock that day, the girls' bikes and Elizabeth's purse were found near the corner of Myers Lake. The two girls were nowhere to be found, though, and there was no idea of what could have happened to them. Police worked their way around Myers Lake, but couldn't find anything. Volunteers came out in the hundreds to help search for Elizabeth and Lyric. Candlelight vigils were organized, and the news of missing girls quickly hit the national headlines. The FBI came in to assist with the investigation, and trained divers were sent into Myers Lake to search for any evidence of the girls. The days turned into weeks, and at the end of July, video surveillance turned up, and it showed the girls less than a block from their grandmother's house around 12.11 p.m. This video confirmed the police's original timeline for the girls' disappearance, but it didn't provide very much other evidence. For the next few months, police continued to investigate leads and tips regarding the missing girls. On Wednesday, December 5, 2012, hunters came across two deceased bodies in the Seven Bridges Wildlife Park near Redland in Bremer County, a wildlife area was, which was about 25 miles from where the girls were last seen. They contacted law enforcement officials at 12.45 p.m. On Thursday, December 6, 2012, Chief Deputy Rick Abin with the Black Hawk County Sheriff's Office held a press conference to announce officials were confident the bodies were those of Lyric and Elizabeth. The bodies were officially identified by the coroner as that of Lyric and Elizabeth on December 10, 2012. The investigation quickly turned into a homicide investigation. Six months after Lyric and Elizabeth were found, authorities announced on Monday, June 24, 2013, that they had three separate witnesses who said they saw a white, older model, full-size SUV-type vehicle, similar to a Ford Bronco or a Chevy Suburban, parked on Arbutus Avenue on July 13, 
and the street actually meets up with the bike trail where the girls' bikes were found. Now, all three witnesses said they'd seen the SUV sometime between 11.30 a.m. and 12.30 p.m. on July 13, 2012, which is the same day and approximate time period when the girls went missing. Police also tried to make connections to other cases in the area, including the case of the kidnapping and murder of a Dayton teenager named Kathleen Shepard. Kathleen, who was 15 at the time, and another girl were kidnapped from Dayton on May 20th while walking home after school. Authorities say Michael James Clunder, who was 42 at the time, took the girls to a hog confinement lot where he worked and zip-tied their hands. The other girl managed to escape when Clunder took Kathleen to another part of the property. Fishermen found Kathleen's body Friday night, June 7, 2013, in the Des Moines River. Police were trying to make connections to areas he may have been when other young women went missing, but he was eventually ruled out as a suspect in the murders of Lyric and Elizabeth. On February 6, 2013, officials announced that the trail and park at Myers Lake would be renamed to honor the memory of Lyric and Elizabeth. The trail that runs around the lake is now known as the Trail of Angels. The park sitting next to the lake will be known as Angels Park, and the city also declared July 13th as Lyric and Elizabeth Day. A $150,000 reward has been offered by the girls' families and from the FBI for information leading to an arrest and conviction in the case. A second reward of $20,500 offered by the Cedar Valley Crime Stoppers is for any information that leads to an arrest. If you have any information that could help in this case, please call the Evansdale Police Department at 319-232-6682. And that is the story of the murders of Lyric Cook and Elizabeth Collins. If you have any information about this case or any of the other cases that we've discussed today, please call the numbers listed in the episode and also on the blog post. Even if you think it's something small that might not be relevant, it could be something that breaks the case wide open. So definitely reach out. Thank you for tuning in today. I hope you enjoyed the episode. The sources for today's episode will be listed on the blog post for the episode at www.thehauntedcorner.com. I will also link to the blog post in the show notes. Check out the other episodes of The Haunted Corner available now wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts with new episodes dropping every Monday and Thursday. If you're enjoying the podcast and would like to share your support, head on over to Patreon. You'll have access to the exclusive Patreon-only episodes, early and ad-free access to episodes. You can download our intro music as a ringtone. You'll have access to a Haunted Corner sticker after donating for three months, plus a lot more. So head over to patreon.com forward slash The Haunted Corner to join now. Follow us on social media at The Haunted Corner on Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, and TikTok. If you're enjoying the podcast, be sure to tell a friend and also rate and review wherever you listen. That's the best way to spread the word. If you have a case suggestion or correction to share, please send it to thehauntedcorner at gmail.com or submit it through the website. Until next time, be kind and take care of yourselves, and we'll see you soon. Bye.